Thank you for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, my name is Jacob, and I am a Norse pagan. And welcome to episode 49 of the full podcast. We are one away from episode 50 and being old men, and I'm very excited about it. But until then, we need to talk about other things, such as Yggdrasil, which is the topic of today's video. So we're going to do something a little bit different. So within our community Discord, I actually, we have like these things you can do called threads now. You can create threads in Discord. So I was like, you know what? Let's mess around with that. So I posed a question and I basically asked, hey, what, are, what is the community's thoughts on Yggdrasil? What do people have? And we got several responses. So we'll be going through those. Um, and each one is very unique. So I think it will be really good for us to kind of go through them. Um, and then we can kind of discuss what we think of these theories. Uh, but before then, I do want to give us a, a baseline for our conversation on Yggdrasil. Um, so I do want to go, it's just uh, myself, Ian, and Shurd today. So I want to kind of go among us talking about um, at least, uh, you know, I guess how we view, view Yggdrasil. Uh, very briefly, again, this is what the conversation is about. Um, but personally for me, I definitely see it more as the universe. Um, just because, you know, looking at pictures of galaxies, looking at pictures of the universe itself, they look very similar to trees. So that's how I personally choose to view it. But again, I'm very excited to have this conversation because I think there are many different ways to actually view what Yggdrasil is. Ian, what do you got? What do you see Yggdrasil as? Um, mine's actually yeah, pretty similar to that as well as like I see it as the universe and then like a little bit more like past that, I would say like see it as... Um, you know, obviously the physical aspect, like a uh, concept of the universe, and then more like uh, those, uh, like those bridges between, you know, spiritual and the physical kind of a uh, situation going on. Yeah, um, for me, I definitely believe it is like you said, with the physical aspect of like the universe, but also believe in it's kind of like the beginning structure of DNA, like uh, the founding of every creature and everything like that because if you look at like if right now if you listen to this podcast and you can you look at your fingertips and how their your dna on there is circular uh that reminds me of like pine tree rings in the center of a pine tree and so you know we we do have some similarities in our bodies with some plants yeah i remember you shared with our little podcast group uh chat the one that um like the picture of like um like the lung the heart um the river the trees and all that stuff and so the combination so i think that's actually one of the reasons i thought about doing this episode because you shared that picture right that's just like how i view it because you know trees they they do have roots you know they do grow and then when you, you cut into them being a logger you know especially working with pine trees you can tell how old the tree is based upon the ring and then the sap and there's different aspects of a tree you can uh articulate and kind of look at the human life as well yeah um now i do want to give again a nice little baseline um so one of the things i was talking about in a video for later this week um if you're watching these podcasts on time is my video on Rodotosker. so i actually spent an entire episode talking about the squirrel of norse myth and uh one of the things that, of course you have to think about is you know the literal 
you know, is this a literal, you know, as far as like what made people talk about a squirrel that runs up and down? What made a people, you know, uh, think of an eagle at the top and Nidhogg and the worms at the bottom? Um, so hopefully we'll get to those questions as uh, we read community responses here. Um, but if we don't, I want to make sure we come back to that and talk about like what these forces kind of were, like how they came to be and stuff like that. Um, so obviously, if you're listening to this before we dive into the community discussion, this is less of a historical mythological perspective. This is really just how people experience it and view it. Um, you know, if you want a, you know, in-depth look of how it's described, buy yourself a poetic edda and read Volus but Grim the Small. It's in there. Um, but we're just assuming at this point that, you know, you're you're further enough in Norse paganism that you kind of understand what Yggdrasil is. Um, but like I said, you know, check out the poetic edda um, if you want a more in-depth, you know, historical look. Otherwise, we're just going to dive right into the converse, uh, conversation of what people you, view Yggdrasil as today. So the first person to answer into this was Andrew. Um, so he says, Yggdrasil to me is the universe. I think the observable universe is our realm and past, and past that is possibly the others all connected by the force of the world tree. Um, so again, kind of what we were already mentioning is a force of the universe, but of course we're breaking into the different realms because obviously what we know about the world tree is the nine realms that sit onto this. Um, so I think this, you know, conversation and this comment, I think we can pull in what really are the realms, um, you know, because obviously Midgard is where we live. And then, you know, you have Alfheim, you have Asgard, you have Niflheim, you have Svartalfheim. Um, so to you gentlemen, uh, what do you see the realms in Norse myth and within the Norse faith? Well, I know you and I have had this conversation before in the past, um, where if you're looking at it from a more like physical aspect where like Yggdrasil is the universe if you're just breaking it down strictly to our like say our solar system for example we have nine planets right so there you go and a lot of the planets if you look at it in some you know to some degree they represent a particular you know uh they match some of those those descriptions um and yes I am including Pluto it is still a planet to me that I grew up learning that so you know I still count it, so there's nine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I that's that's kind of you know how I kind of look at it initially. If you were to look at it from a more physical, uh, scientific aspect, I guess you would say is you know the nine realms represent the nine planets. Whether or not they knew about us having nine planets at the time of this creation of the of the story and of Yggdrasil, like who knows? But just taking a more physical approach that's how i would best like look at it if i may counter your argument i think you don't count pluto but you do i've always said the nine celestial bodies so i count the sun when i think about the realms as physical locations um because then you have an easy combination for muspelheim is literally the sun now obviously you have Suna and Sol as the goddess of the sun and of course the chariot that pulls it but at the same time we know so little information and I mean I don't I don't think it takes a rocket scientist in the past to look at the sun and be like that's hot you know that's a ball of at least some form of fire <laughs> you know it's it's not a long you know long shot to look at fire like hmm, fire hurts me and the sun hurts me if I get too close you know if it's too hot you know so I see it as like this primordial world of pure fire and obviously as we've learned more about science that's pretty true. Poor Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, I I agree with that sentiment there. I mean, 
uh, I believe that even our ancestors at some point in time knew about the other planets because you see it in like the, I believe the Ma- uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans were very like astrology based and could pinpoint the different planets. And so without any of the satellites and of course, you know, all the lights we have in cities now, you'd be able to see all the stars, including the planets. So naturally they seem probably the bigger, brighter stars maybe as being planets. And maybe that's where, oh, the dwarves sail from there. The elves are on this planet. Uh, and it's just a different realm that, you know, we couldn't physically reach, but you can spiritually. Uh, that's my thoughts kind of as far as like it being on the universe. Yeah. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting about uh, Norse mythos is we actually know very little about what they thought of the stars. Now we do, we can surmise and uh, we have a pretty good guess that they, yes, they used the stars to navigate the oceans because that's what most people did. And they were the best navigators at the time or one of the best. Um, but other than that, we don't know if any mythology are based around the stars. Um, we can assume they did because most cultures have mythology based around the stars. We just don't know what it was. Um, so it is curious to think, you know, what were the Norse people, the Germanic people thinking as they lay down in the grass at night and looked up at the stars? Because like you said, sure, I mean, if there's no light pollution, you can see so much. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to see the spiral of the galaxy once. I was in a place that didn't have a lot of light pollution. And I saw a very faint uh, edge of the spiral. So to think that people... I mean, especially, I'm pretty sure if you're in the Northern Hemisphere that far north, especially Scandinavia, you see like the spiral going all the way to like the edge of like dark space. Like it's pretty intense from what I know. Like I, I, I'm remembering right, because I think it's in the Northern Hemisphere, you see the spiral going out to dark space, you know, the, the space between galaxies. And then if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you can actually see the spiral going to like the center of the galaxy. And it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, seriously, if you haven't looked up the pictures people have taken of this stuff, it's, it's insane. Like the, the one time I saw the spiral, it's incredible. So like, I, I just don't even know how you would comprehend that as someone that doesn't understand science, you know, looking up at, it, I would see a tree. I feel like, you know, they see that, you know, they see it almost like a branch coming off. So maybe that's why they even see it as a tree in general. Well, I mean, that also is kind of, I'm sure kind of just going off on a slight tangent, like where the Bifrost potentially comes from as well considering that it is a rainbow bridge like and i from what i have seen of those photos because i have seen i know what you're talking about you know it is a multi-colored you know spiral that's what i was gonna say it reminds me of a lot like the bifrost and you know maybe that's how they think the gods came to midgard by traveling through the bifrost i mean granted that's how thor got here in the movies Oh my gosh, don't bring up those movies. <laughs> Only good part about that was when he wanted, demanded more coffee and threw the coffee cup down, fight me. Um, <laughs> uh, so another thing, you know, I mean, again, this is getting off on tangent and we're just talking about space because space is dope. Uh, but like the Northern Lights, I mean, again, like what in the world were you thinking sitting there, like seeing like colors just dance on the sky? Like, like I mean, even now that we know what they are, I mean, I couldn't imagine seeing them. It would blow my mind, so let alone if I didn't know what they were. Yeah, I'll say, like, I've only, I've seen the Northern Lights, luckily, where I grew up in Minnesota. It's far enough north where you can see them, especially during the winter. It's a lot easier. But, yeah, it's, it is, like, even in modern times, knowing what they were and everything like that, like, seeing it, that kind of stuff in person was very much just, like, 
it was a mind-blowing experience and i think i've only ever seen because i've seen some people have posted like pictures of it in like the blues and reds and stuff like that i've only seen it in green from where i've been from well i'm jealous (laughs) right but yeah definitely i mean you take any ancestor not not just you know from the norse but anywhere in the world and you go back to their time period where they have no electricity you're not living in big cities there's no light pollution throughout the entire continent you're going to see space you're going to see every little star every planet every everything is going to light up and the world is going to be a completely different view point at night for you than it is today so to pull this into the next person so i i do want to talk about more of like the uh, the wild side of the realms. Like if you don't just see, you know, like obviously one way to look at the realms is you can look at them like the planets, the celestial bodies. Um, and, you know, every view, per, every viewpoint is going to be different on how they see the scale of Yggdrasil. Is it the solar system? Is it the universe? Is it the galaxy? You know, how do, how do you see it? Or does it exist here just in our world? Or does it not exist within the physical plane at all? And it's all metaphorical. It's all the different realms. Um, so, the next person we have here is Night Angel Amy, and she has a little bit of a long answer, so I'm going to kind of roll through this best I can. Uh, put simply, uh, it is a metaphor for as above, so below, symbolizing the connection between planes of reality and the pathways by which the gods and shamans travel between them. So I want to start with that one, uh, and then she has an, a, a tinfoil hat moment that she wanted to bring up as well, so I figured we'd get to that. Um, so the, at first, as above, so below, honestly, is one of my, my favorite representations of the world tree, um, because like I think my biggest rune connection I ever had is when I looked at algaes, and then I put another algaes on the bottom of it, um, because algaes is, you know, I've, I've seen it represented as like the life and death rune. And so when you put two together, you literally have as above, as above, so below, which is obviously a very famous frame representing, you know, the trend, like the afterlife, essentially. Um, so, I mean, really the Yggdrasil is like the moving of, you know, the higher energy and the lower energy is one way to look at it. Um, and that as above, so below. Does that make sense? Like what was resonating with you guys with those thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely get that. Because I mean, even if you look at the description too of, because you have you know luscious green top where you have you know everybody's favorite squirrel you have the eagle um and the the rooster and all that stuff and then the deeper you go down that's where you have you know needhogger where you know he's basically just devouring the roots constantly and stuff like that so i think that is a good representation because if you look at the two different you know when you look at the top of the tree it's you know lush beautiful green you know abundant and, and wildlife essentially and then as soon as you get to the roots which would be the below is you know a lot you know dark damp dirt you know a dragon is literally down there like gnawing on the roots you know just devouring it and stuff like that so i think it's i think that is a, a relatively good representation yeah definitely it, it's like the mirror and polar opposites uh kind of like the yin and yang symbol if that makes any sense where, you know, you have the eagle up top and the dragon down below and the eagles in the lush greens and, and it's like the, the budding and, and the fruiting or like the coming to growth of the life and then Nidhogger down there eating the root stuff that, that represents the death. So, you know, you can't have one without the other. You got, it's got to be balanced. So again, bringing in uh, the shamanism as I, I slowly have been bringing this into the podcast, 
is um, Ian, I think you were there when I was kind of describing this uh, right after the shamanic ritual I did at the fellowship retreat. Um, I was kind of discussing the difference between like a high shamanic ritual and a low shamanic ritual in the sense that like in a high one, you are climbing the tree and in a low shamanic ritual, you are diving deep into the earth. So, you know, there are realms that exist in the earth, um, the most notable ones being Helheim and Svartalfheim. Um, or Nidavellir, I think is, is the other name, because, um, you know, the dwarves live underground. Um, and then, of course, Helheim is in the earth as well. Um, so those are the most common ones to go into as far as like a, a low ritual of shamanism. Um, and of course, Asgard, Alfheim and Vanheim are in the sky. And so typically I always do, uh, you know, upwards rituals or lifting rituals um, to go to, you know, Asgard, go to Alfheim, Vanaheim, um, because who, who doesn't want to do that? There's more positive beings you're going to interact with there. Whereas, of course, El uh, Helheim has the ancestors, majority of the ancestors. You know, there's also Nidhogg down there as well. There's also negative beings down there. And as we talked about with Keenan, the dwarves aren't exactly like positive creatures. Like they have positive attributes, but not necessarily the best of attributes at the same time to randomly run into in your shamanic journey. Um, so I, I did want to kind of talk about that a little bit as well. As far as the location of the realms, they're definitely... Gosh, you know, this is definitely, I feel like talking about Yggdrasil is such a tinfoil hat conversation because it's so many just theories and experiences and, uh, you know, this person said this, this person said this, I read this in a book, I read this in a book, it, there's so much to it. Um, it, it, it's going to be really hard to even encapsulate in this one episode, but yes, you know, there is the shamanic journey that is a tie to Yggdrasil as well. Yeah, and there's a bunch of different, like, just the complexity of like, of Yggdrasil covering the shamanic uh, aspect of it too is there's so many different representations in as far as like how people have essentially mapped it out um i mean you see you know some of the more common um you know art forms for it are you know <clears throat> the tree itself and then being evenly you know uh what's the word i'm looking for symmetrical top and bottom and then you know being surrounded by a circle and I've seen some forms of the art like that where people have put the nine realms with evenly within that circle, where essentially you just would be the, at the center of it. And then as you go along that circle, you would have each of the realms in their respective segments, so to speak. And then you can get even more complicated with it and divide that, that circle up into sections of, you know, planes of existence and things like that. So you can get really, really complicated and yeah, tinfoil hat esque, um, you know, in that aspect. And then you have some more just simple ones where it's just simply the tree with the nine realms within its branches, not encircling it. So it can, yeah, it's it's a very complicated thing depending on how you want to look at it. I'll tell you, Ian, those dogs are yours. They just want to be on the podcast so bad. I'm gonna have to add them. I'm gonna have to give them credit for this episode. <laughs> uh, Sure. Do you have anything to add to the shamanic thing before we get to Amy's tinfoil hat moment? Okay. Uh, so Amy's tinfoil hat moment. Um, she clarifies this is a tinfoil hat moment. You know, essentially meaning this is a crazy theory, but it's a fun theory. I like fun theories, uh, even though some people out there in the community are you know, not about fun theories, which is just hilarious to me. Uh, one of the descriptions of Yggdrasil is tree of ash and tree of terror, but like, what if, <laughs> seriously, a but like here, but like 
what if it's also a metaphor for Ragnarok being caused by some cataclysmic volcanic eruption? The ash clouds look like a giant tree. It also describes the stags living in the branches as having lightning like horns. And you do see lightning inside ash clouds too. So again, an interesting take on it. You know, I don't know how many people will widely take it, but I do know, I read this, oh, what book was it? I think it was Neil Oliver's History of the Vikings, I think. Um, it was one of the, it was either that or Mrs. Symbols in Pagan Europe or the one by Gwen Jones. I've read so many damn books on the history of the Vikings at this point, I get confused. But essentially there was a period um, in the Viking age, not like before the Viking age of volcanic activity, because there are quite a few volcanoes in Scandinavia. Um, and so there is a theory that Ragnarok was actually that, that what people were talking about as the end times was the, you know, the, you know, the calamity that came from volcanics, uh, volcanoes, you know, spewing fire out into an ice covered world. Um, so, you know, obviously it would black out the sun. It would, you know, cause a winter with the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the fallout from it. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the things described in Ragnarok are something that would happen in a seismic event, like a volcanic eruption. Um, now, as far as like the world tree, not quite sure, but I think it's an, it's interesting theory. I mean, yeah, I could, I could see like the, the physical representation of her, like, you know, like, uh, as stated in this, in Amy's comment of, you know, the clouds basically coming up from a volcano panic eruption you know mushroom clouds do tend to look like trees sometimes too like obviously it's called a mushroom cloud because it looks more like a mushroom but volcanic eruptions you know can be you know different um in that aspect they're not quite like a full-on mushroom they are a little bit more slower and 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 rising and then billowing out and stuff like that so i could potentially see that being you know that representation especially like you were saying um if i'm not mistaken I think parts of Scandinavia are part of the ring of fire, like volcano chain, if I'm not mistaken. Either that or they're very close. Um, but it maybe, you know, obviously the earth has changed drastically since then. So some of those volcanoes that are dormant now or inactive altogether would potentially have been part of that ring. But yeah, if you have a lot of um, volcanic activity in that area, then yeah, like something like that, you know, how else would you really describe that you know besides it being you know smoke and a large you know, eruption of of fire and ash and if it looks like in the shape of a tree you know i'm sure that's the first thing that people described it as like oh that cloud of ash looks like a tree and then yeah you kind of get into the ash tree and all that stuff yeah, from everything I can find, it doesn't like Scandinavia is active like they haven't had active volcanoes in a long time um so it, it definitely seems like if there was a volcanic event that it was kind of like the last hurrah of that area because i'm not even i mean without diving into my past geography knowledge i don't know what like scandinavia's tectonic plates or what form those mountains are like i'm not a geologist well, know, or a geographer yeah well i know there was there uh, just over the past was it last month or two months ago there was vol like the most recent active uh volcano um that they've had in like years um but it wasn't anything like super crazy it was more of just like it was more of like a flow than an actual like violent eruption so i can't remember exactly if that where that was at i think that, i want to say that was in was that in norway or was that in iceland so like what i'm looking up right now uh like literally the first thing to pop up is 
Uh, Norway is a volcanic nation and a lot of them are like kind of deep. Um, like they're not as like, uh, mm-hmm. they don't have like the, the caps, like a lot of them do. Um, but let's see here, I'm trying to find some more. I th- yeah. I think they're mostly under the water. So again, like, isn't one of the things for Ragnarok, like the sea boils or am I getting my like into the world prophecies confused? Mm, I think but, so. Oh, no, the ocean levels rise. That's right. Well, I mean, an eruption in, with volcanoes on there would probably make the ocean rise because it'd be bubbly. Gentlemen, fill this conversation with something because I just found well, an interesting article called Where, Where the Vikings Scared of Volcanoes. And I need to read this real quick. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if you look at it, that if you look at it, at that aspect, like with the oceans rising and stuff like that, like, yeah, that that depending on where a volcano or a volcano is lo- located and how violent the eruption is, usually what follows the eruptions are earthquakes. And if you have subsurface, you know, deep ocean earthquakes, that causes tsunamis so mm-hmm. that right there could be your oceans rising when a literal you know volcano is just erupting under the yeah ocean. and then you have a a gigantic wall of water you know that is quite literally rising from the ocean so therefore it would look like the ocean waters are all of a sudden just rising up because right technically they are it's just it's just a particular well, wall. Did, could you imagine how wicked that water would look though? Was like terrifying, the, like just the gas and all that bubbling up inside it. Like, oh, that'd be a terrifying wave of water crashing at you. So, basically, what I'm reading so far is that it's really interesting. Like, this article is basically saying that the Norse mythos and what we have is one of the few in the world that do not have volcano legends written down. Um, when most societies in the world um, have stories of volcanoes. Um, and uh, it looks like the conclusion is that it is interesting that, you know, like it, it kind of brings in the Ragnarok theory as well, that like they, you know, the tree of life, Yggdrasil shakes, the dog Garm bor- uh, barks from its den at the top of a mountain, uh, the Midgard serpents make the waves rise. So there's a lot of things that could come into play with volcanoes as well. Um, but now again, we keep on drifting off into the scientific talks, uh, you know, we're over here talking about space and volcanoes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's bringing it back to the world tree. Um, this would be interesting because uh, one thing to note um, that actually came from this article is that there wasn't a volcanic eruption um, in the year 934, very soon after they uh, inhabited Iceland. As we know, most of the stories were recorded by Icelandic you know, writers. And so um, it, it could be one thing that they added as well. So who knows? I don't know. I can't say that for one way or another, but at the same time, it's really cool and interesting theory. So to go ahead and pull it into the next comment we have here to keep this conversation rolling, because we're already at the 30 minute mark, uh, we have from good old Blade slash Babushka slash Grandma, we have, um, remember my thought on how Yggdrasil and the realms are older than we initially thought, how when Odin created Midgard, it was a discovery of the realms and Yggdrasil. To me, Yggdrasil is the prominent form of balance, keeps everything where it should be and makes sure nothing diverges from the original position until Ragnarok. So initially, I, again, like I feel like we we're kind of jumping, we're doing the more scientific aspect of this, because <laughs> um, yeah, if if by looking at that, like I mean, I've had this discussion with Blade before, one on one and stuff like that, and he's kind of told me his idea of it of where Yggdrasil is predominantly much older than I than most people give it credit for, because like he says in this in this comment. Um, 
where Odin discovers it. Um, and so that means that it's older than Odin. So who, you know, by that logic, it could potentially have been around, you know, at the time that Emir was, you know, floating around in space, essentially. I mean, in theory, if Niflheim and Muspelheim existed, in theory, they would already be on Yggdrasil then as well. Yeah, I was I was going to say, what if Yggdrasil was the key that connected the flames uh, from Muspelheim to the cold of Niflheim? So yeah, that was actually, that was Ymir, technically, because I'm doing like uh, the Norse creation myth right now. I'm animating it. Um, so I'm like really in tune with the creation <laughs> myth. So essentially, you had uh, Niflheim um, melting from the heats of Muspelheim and but also when they came together they created a vaporous like gas when those two forces met and then Niflheim actually froze into rhyme the gas and then like uh, Emir popped out like formed out of the Rhine um and the hmm. ice and then also the the cow as well so they kind of formed in the center of Ginyuga Gap from those two realms i don't remember I, I don't think it actually says when yggdrasil comes into play i think it just kind of is there yeah yeah as far as oh god i was just saying everything i've read you know yggdrasil's just been there and there's like no rhyme or reason of who created it how it's just there i got my notes right here yeah because again yeah i feel like it, it is kind of essentially just there is so I, I this is kind of i think where he's going off of that idea that yggdrasil is far older than what we i think essentially give it credit for um and then again like looking at it from a, a like a scientific aspect if it is you know that form of balance and that force that keeps everything where it should be i mean that right there if i'm looking at like with my mindset of thinking of the our celestial bodies as you know the basis that the nine realms were given life from then, you know, that's just the gravitational pull around the sun that is keeping everything in place where it should be until essentially, you know, where when Ragnarok would happen and then, you know, cataclysmic level events would happen. And if one celestial body scientifically was to fall out of its its orbit, the entire solar system would basically collapse in on itself. So, so what you're describing is Ragnarok B when the sun destroys itself. I mean, technically, I mean, technically that would be like, yeah. yeah. What is that, what is that, when is that going to happen? Like, isn't it like another four like, billion years or something like that? Yeah. 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 It's like way down the line. But yeah. like, so and technically in four billion years, I can say pretty definitively Ragnarok will happen. Ragnarok, <laughs> will we yeah. still be around for that? Probably not. Probably but, not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so one thing I was just thinking about is uh, like kind of going with Blade's thing is the idea of balance and keeping things in line. What if Yggdrasil itself is just a set of rules for the universe? Um, because there is order in the chaos of the universe. Things still follow certain rules as far as like, you know, like gravity, um, things, of, uh, you know, rotating around the sun. Uh, the sun rotates around the galaxy. The galaxy rotates around its it has some form of movement you know galaxies have a purpose and a direction that they travel in um but but that again begs the question and when we definitely start like blowing up our brains and as you know everyone does with space is what what moves them like what is moving galaxies yes what moves us around the sun is us rotating around it what moves the sun around 
the center of the galaxy is all the supermassive black holes that spiral and consume energy. But what is the galaxy moving? Like, yes, but the, anyways, yes, there's there's rules to the universe and maybe that's what Yggdrasil is, is this weird unwritten rule set for how the universe works. Wait, you mean tell me the sun doesn't revolve around the earth? Well, the earth is flat, but you know, yeah, yes, the, you yeah. know. <laughs> I just saw the best with you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as far as like the maintaining the balance thing, um, the, I, the way I've always seen balance is Midgard is balance. The earth is balanced because we have everything here. We have water and ice, hot and cold, you know, lava and the coldest places. I mean, Antarctica is freezing, but yet we have magma. Um, you know, we have deserts, we have mountains. Uh, there's so much of everything here when all the realms technically are really just one component. They're one thing. And so if you are to view the realms as, uh, you know, different planes of existence, different planes of energy, you know, Earth, Midgard represents a force of all those. And so Yggdrasil is that binding force. It's the belt that keeps it, the pants still up of the universe. Um, so, yeah, and in that way, I can kind of see it. I think it's kind of an interesting way to wrap everything together as far as uh, all these theories. I'm going to never let that statement die of Yggdrasil being the pants or the belt that holds the pants of the universe up. Damn straight. Yeah. It's definitely a triple X belt too. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm talking size 50 to 60. Uh, yeah. No, you're, you're right though. Cause like, I mean, any kind of climate you want to live in, you can find it here on earth. If you want to be freezing, just go north. If you want to be hot, go more toward the central of their like i mean it's it's whatever kind of environment whatever you're looking for magma volcanoes uh, frozen tundra swamps you know it's here i mean look at you know uh, like uh jupiter i mean the uh, what is it? the eye of jupiter is just a constant storm and mm-hmm. it is like it's like the size of like 10 earths or something like that it's like ridiculously huge i'm totally getting that wrong i haven't taken astronomy in so long i'm gonna have to look it up to best myself here the size of Jupiter's It's a hurricane, storm. by the way. Oh, a hurricane. Yeah, that one. Uh, it is 10,000 miles wide. Jupiter's storm is 1.3 times the diameter of Earth. Okay, it's not 10 Earth, but it's still, I mean, literally, if our planet was sucked into that, we would be just done. <laughs> like, that's crazy. And so that there's the fact that there's a you know, planet of storms is interesting since we have storm gods. Uh, you know, uh, one of the gas planets is like Neptune or like uh, or Uranus is like has ice in it too, I think. And so that can ne- maybe be Neptune does, I think. Yeah, Neptune. So that could have like uh like be like Niflheim. Um, yeah, and then of course, one thing that I love is the connection of the eyelashes. So one of the things that um, supposedly they did to protect Midgard was use Ymir's eyelashes to build a wall around it. Well, one of the things that protects us from having asteroids hit us all the time is the fact that the asteroid belt is all around us. And so it protect like, so essentially, you know, floating asteroids that come in from outside of our solar system, a lot of times hit a rock there and then this kind of dissipate or get caught up in the gravitational pool. And so in a way we are protected because of that. And so, you know, and they're made of rock and ice. So maybe those are your mirror's lashes. So I do think there's a lot of things that you, you look into the, the source stories and you actually see that there's actually something that may represent that, that our ancestors somehow knew or were really good at guessing. So Fenris here, 
Ryan says, Yggdrasil is the center of the universe. The fact that its limbs balance the different planes is a perfect metaphor for true balance. It's also a metaphor for life and death which, uh, with constant activity atop, throughout, and Nighajuin on the roots. It's said to constantly undergo constant states of death and rebirth. Yggdrasil also shows that no matter how distant we uh, may be, we're all connected by the branches of life. Um, so what I would want to bring up here, because obviously this is kind of similar to what Blade said, is the, the balance. Um, but the the connection between, um, you know, we're all connected by the branches of life. This is something that I, if I've experienced Yggdrasil, like I don't, I have had people ask me in the past, like, can I give an offering to Yggdrasil? I don't think so. <laughs> like, I don't think that's really what, you, it's not a being, so to speak. You're not like reaching out like Yggdrasil, but I do think there's something to connect with there. And it's that, it's those th almost like the threads of life, you know, the things that connect us, the things that gravitate us towards certain things, you know, the, the gut feelings we have that we can't explain, or those moments of connection when we actually clear our minds enough, the meditation, enlightenment. I think when we focus ourselves enough, we can actually connect to the energy that is the universe. And I think that would be Yggdrasil in the branches. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, and also like what he was talking about, kind of tie it into a little bit of what... Um, you know, I was talking about when we were discussing, you know, the as above, so below aspect of where obviously the top of the tree is very much lush and alive, um, where the roots are, you know, you have Needhogger and, and death basically in the ground and obviously Helheim further down. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like kind of going off of the, we are connected by all branches of life. I think that's, I mean, yeah, I agree. I don't really think that there's a, a an offering that you can necessarily give to Yggdrasil, but just respect nature being, always. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. But like also, uh, yeah, I feel like you can connect to that energy, like what you were saying, because yeah, I've, I've only really had, I would say a few like connecting experiences with, you know, Yggdrasil, but that's, you know, stuff that I find easier to do while actually being out in nature near a tree or something like that it's something easier for me to you know if i'm physically up against a tree or like next to a tree i feel like it's easier to tap into that because you have a physical tree next to you which then can potentially represent yggdrasil for that particular situation where you can you know connect with the roots that are digging deep into the ground with the actual trunk of the tree that is you know you are potentially leaning up against and then obviously the canopy above um so i feel like you know and we are yeah we are all connected by this essentially the same branches of life without you know trees we'd be dead um you know and so many ecosystems and other life forms just live in within trees and stuff like that so Oh yeah. Um, let's see the, the state of uh, death and rebirth. So this is also something we can look at celestially is, you know, energy and matter. Well, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It's just kind of recycled. And so we see that in the universe as well. Stars die, galaxies die, uh, galaxies are consumed. Um, you know, just as, you know, even though there, these things are so much bigger than us, there still is this balance of life and death, even though our sun you know, the same sun that we look at today is the same sun that our earliest ancestors looked at. It's the same sun that the dinosaurs looked at, the, the freaking little, you know, chromozoas that 
crawled out of the water and looked up into the sky for the first time that's the same sun and that's kind of a wild thought like that sun has not changed i mean it's aged and it's probably a little different now but for the most part it's the same sun and so but the idea that that this eternal being to our entire species this thing has existed our entire species history and yet one day it will die um, I mean, what's to me, you know, I think, well, one of the things we, we know about history is a lot of the times the sun is the primary deity. Um, and I think that's why, you know, personally, I think that the, you know, the Arabic uh, region, the, you know, Middle East, um, all, you know, you have Christianity, you have Judaism, you have, you know, uh, Islam, and they all worship one God. And I think a lot of this is because what bigger, bigger force do they have out there than the sun It is the most predominant force out there. Um, and so, I mean, the sun worship, sun veneration, and the sun in general is one of the most constant and prevalent beings throughout our entire history and our mythology, but it will one day die as well. Um, so that's kind of like a reassuring thought that like even the greatest, even the gods die. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the ancestors didn't necessarily know that, but, you know, at least the Norse in some way, you know, saw that gods do die and there is this cycle. And even the universe itself is in a constant state of death, decay, and then rebirth at the same time. Um, and if you believe the multiple Big Bang theory, um, you know, then that's kind of the same way. In theory, this eternal universe that we live in expands and contracts is the last I heard is the, the predominant theory is that the Big Bang happens, the universe expands, it comes back into energy and it basically is like the breath of the universe uh but i am really digging at my astronomy lessons from like ninth grade <laughs> well i was just gonna add as far as cultures go like the sun uh look at the aztecs uh there's several different stories of the sun, different sun gods uh and different beings being sacrificed to become the sun god it's it's really interesting when you get into like the aztec and mayan culture and how they viewed the sun well what was the what was the greek perspective on the sun i mean it's just apollo right well the romans made it apollo but oh, they, right, you, right, you right. had uh helios helios right. was the sun but then like whenever the romans adapted it then they just gave helios's job to apollo it just added it on made one less god yeah oh my gosh the sun so anytime I talk to like an atheist, I always mention the sun because they're like, why do you believe in religion? And I'm like, well, let's sit down and let's actually talk about the universe. And I was like, you know, do you feel this warmth of the sun? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, isn't it crazy how the sun, if it moves like a little bit closer to the earth, we're all going to burn up and die. If it moves a little bit further away, we're all going to freeze and die. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm like, isn't it also pretty crazy that like this invisible force called gravity keeps us in a rotation around the sun and it carries this throughout the universe and they're like yeah that is pretty crazy i'm like isn't it also crazy that the sun has a like an effect on our oceans just like the moon does that it has an invisible force that pulls our oceans and it's like yeah that is pretty crazy and it's like isn't it also crazy that you're mostly water and wouldn't you think that maybe you could have you know be affected by that too and they're like well, yeah, that is kind of true. And so like, that's kind of how I, I bring atheists into at least their religious mindset. I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to be this like metaphysical, like other dimensional being. We have invisible forces that interact with us on a daily basis. And we just take for granted and we don't really recognize, but maybe our ancestors were more in tune with the universe felt those things and recognized those things, especially with shamanic tradition. 
is that they actually, you know, had some form of way to connect with the universe outside of just science. Um, and I, I do think that's the beautiful thing about modern paganism is we don't reject science. We, we say, yes, science is real. We, we support it. But at the same time, there is this other level, which is, you know, the deeper connection that you get from just being a human and understanding these invisible forces that are always around us. Well, we, I think most of us as pagans, we try to tap into more of the primitive state that our ancestors were in because they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have electricity, video games, all this modern stuff that we have. So naturally they're going to be more curious and sit there and like meditate on the world tree or the gods or the sun, you know, and, and what makes these different things work the way they do because you know they, they had other than certain trying to survive they had that time on their hands yeah i think kind of tying bringing it back to discussing you could still kind of simply are talking about like ancient cultures it's interesting that from my understanding there is at least with european um you know ancient civilizations and stuff like that a concept of a tree of life is prominent in almost every single european uh culture the celts had the tree of life obviously you have yggdrasil for you know scandinavian religions um i believe there is a essentially a tree of life um idea within uh native american spirituality if i'm not mistaken um so it is also interesting to see that there is this 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 concept of a a a essentially all giving tree that kind of keeps everything together and everything it was a part of it is also seen around in multiple ancient civilizations i'm looking at the tree of life and native beliefs because like i remember that there are stories about trees and obviously trees are very important but i never want to like speak out of turn here but yes it does look like that there is a uh, significant meaning to the tree of life and it actually is very connected with shamanism because it mentions the red red road uh, which is the uh, like very shamanic tradition so again tree of life connected with shamanism we have a tree of life connected with shamanism in uh northern, northern spirituality and this is something i of any book i've read from northern spirituality it really is heavily um, or Northern shamanism is really heavy reliant on the, the world tree and traveling the world tree. Um, and this is something I think we see in many different, uh, like, you know, shamanic cultures is the traveling of the world tree. And I think that is really fascinating. And something I got really into is the, like the spirals or building the labyrinths is because we find these spirals and labyrinths around the world. And so either these people like somehow communicated with one another physically, or maybe they communicated spiritually. And that's why they all have these similar things. But again, tinfoil hat conversations. So the last thing here, I think this is a good comment to wrap this up. Um, as far as a conversation, it comes from someone with a uh, like old Norse name that I can't pronounce. I think it's Dor Dokerskoger. His name's also Jacob. So we're going to go with Jacob. Uh, this is something that turns my mind a lot because I keep changing my views, but I think uh, that Yggdrasil is multiple planes of existence and the other realms are outside of the one plane that we're in right now, which is Midgard. I don't think we can ever physically leave this place, but absolutely can journey to them through meditation and whatnot. So, you know, kind of bring in the shamanic thing. Uh, but Ian, it looks like you got something. What do you got? Yeah. So this, this kind of what, this Jacob is saying ties into one of the representations that I was describing earlier, where you see Yggdrasil 
in the center of a circle and then you have the nine realms within that circle and then the inner part of that of that uh circle that would be where Yggdrasil would be is the various planes of existence this is one thing i kind of wanted to touch on like that is kind of what he is saying is similar to very much some of the more commonly uh seen representations as far as drawings and and you know uh artistic concept drawings i would i guess i would say of yggdrasil as being uh you know the tree in the center the planes you know on the outskirts of the roots and everything like that and then the various planes of existence being within that outer circle so to speak so you know layers within layers like onions and ogres so what i'm hearing is shrek is yggdrasil question mark I would say onions would be just all in that concept because they have layers. <laughs> Can we at least give it shallots? <laughs> like shallots have layers and they're like, you know, more rich and fancy. There you go. <laughs> I was just going to say Shrek is love. Shrek oh my is gosh. life. Uh, simpler times when Shrek was all we had. Um, so something I do want to bring up here uh, is something from the afterlife traditions that we know from uh, history really is uh, one of the, the things that is fascinating about Norse culture is it has changed whether or not people are buried or cremated. This is something that I've talked about on my channel before. Um, but this is something that, you know, it, it, is, it changes per region. It changes per culture. It changes per year. I mean, I think it's the Goatland region would alternate between cremation and burial constantly. And sometimes they would do both at the same time. So there was a clear difference in people's minds about which one they did. And one of the ideas that is common, the reason that people were cremated is because the idea that it releases your soul into the next, into the other realms. Whereas if you're buried, you stay here on Midgard. And that's where you also get your theories of reincarnation as well, or, you know, ancestor veneration is your body stays here to help, uh, which of course you also see in uh, Buddhist tradition as well, especially Mahayana Buddhism is the idea of uh, the bodhisattvas. So there's Buddhas that stay, you know, that go to the next level of existence and Buddhas can also still be venerated. But then you have bodhisattvas, which are people that reached enlightenment, but decided to stay here on earth to help other people reach enlightenment. Um, so again, that's a, a Buddhist idea, but it's interesting that they have this distinction between people that, ex you, know, uh, you know, evolve to the next plane of existence and the people that exist still here to help you. And it seems like those same questions may have been asked by the people in Scandinavia as well, as some people chose to be cremated and possibly sent to the next realm, as others um, were decided to be buried, to be left here. Because, you know, uh, a lot of the stories we have of people going to burial mounds um, is to talk with ancestors. They went there to talk to their ancestor. Um, so this idea of, um, you know, our bodies not being able to travel to the other realms is, is an interesting question is, what is an afterlife to us? Do we go to, do we actually go to Asgard if you go to Valhalla? Do you go into the earth of Helheim? You know, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I can definitely, uh, I lost my train of thought. Hold on. Sure, you go. We really think this. Definitely, it's, it's interesting because uh, we, we've talked about the afterlife before and I think a part of me wants to say that your soul does go back into wherever it came from and maybe you get reincarnated and in, into back on Midgard or who knows, you may go somewhere else. You may go be with the gods. You may go to Helheim. Like there's so much we don't know when it comes to the afterlife because only the people who are dead know what happens to you when you're, when you die. Um, but for me personally, I, I do believe like if you uh, dedicate your life 
to a certain deity like you, Jacob, with Odin. I do believe a part of me believes that you will go with to be with Odin if that's what you choose. You know, I believe we have some sort of choice in, in the matter of where we go when we die. I remember my thought now. Um, it, it's it's connected to one of my all time favorite uh, TV series. It's a Jim. Uh, oh God, they can't. Are you losing your train of thought again, Ian? Yeah, a little Think bit. Think about the staircase. Think, uh, climb the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, this, I, the TV show is it's the Dark Crystal like series. I was trying to think of the actual original creator, Jim. I can't think of his last name. Pinto. But um, uh, in the Netflix TV series, they do a representation of where their culture is to bury their dead, to give them basically back to the earth where they can be venerated as you know ancestors and stuff like that and they are become part of the world and part of the earth whereas if they are burned or cremated it is releasing their soul and it's a reverse like idea of where you are your soul is released is not necessarily a good thing because you should be you know stay within the in the earth to give back and be able to help those that came after you kind of a thing this is a thought that i had you can cut it. I don't care. It's irrelevant. Okay. Maybe. No, that's fine. We're keeping it in there because we've went on a good roll this episode. Now I have to cut out a lot. Um, but gentlemen, are you going to be buried or cremated? Hmm. See, I've thought about this. <laughs> and so initially, you know, it, it's, I would say like, I am so very a rapid fire question. Just, just give it the answer, Ian. Okay. Right. So I don't need I, your life I, story. I would like to be cremated. Um, for a reason of the fact that current, you know, Christianity has been around for thousands of years and a lot of people are buried in the earth. There's not a lot of really much space left to be burying people that is legally able to be buried. So I would rather just be cremated and have something like a tree actually planted as a, a place where my descendants or my lineage can come and, you know, have something physical that they can come and visit instead of a gravestone or something like that. Same. I want to be cremated. I told my brother this, and I would like you know to, them to plant an oak tree at my dad's property and put my remains there. Uh, I mean, I'm sad none of you chose Viking ship burial, but okay, um, that's what I, I want. <laughs> is, that, is that an option? You well, yeah, say that was an option. <laughs> I would love to have that burial, like even like Game <laughs> of Thrones has that one burial where you know, they push the dude out to the river. Uh, but that would be awesome at the same time. Like I wouldn't mind that either. But yeah, I remember like, I talked about that on YouTube. Like uh, a lot of people got excited because like Maine was going to like legalize like public cremation where you could actually have like a ritual or something like that. And everyone's like, "Yes, we could have a Viking ship push out the sea." And it's like, whoa. We were nowhere near that. Like all that means is like they're gonna have like a concrete slab. They're gonna r- barbecue your body on, and everyone can like sing kumbaya as like you burn. Like that's all that means, I, you know. It's, but it's basically the same thing at the end of episode one with Qui Gon sitting there burning, and they're like, burning yeah. But body. like I, I saw like the one that's legal in Colorado, and it's like literally just like a concrete slab, and it's like way like it's kind of scary looking. I'm like, I don't know. That actually doesn't look that fun. <laughs> so just kind of a fun tidbit of information on on like that idea so the last i guess um modern age viking style burial with like a long ship and everything like that was actually 
back in, I think it was around like 2015, 2016, it was actually uh, an Air Force Special Forces guy who had died overseas. And it was in his will to essentially have a Viking style burial because he was he was Scandinavian from, you know, descendant um, or heritage and all that stuff. And what they ended up doing is they built a Viking ship, had it on the ground. They didn't push out to sea, but they had it put on the ground and they had his body on it and then burned the ship. So it wasn't pushed out to sea or anything, but it was the closest thing that we would have uh, in modern times that I have yeah. come across. That works. I'm, I'm fine with that. They don't have to be in the sea. <laughs> well, that was uh, this is an interesting tangent of our Yggdrasil conversation. But uh, wh- last thing I do want to cover uh, in this episode is the literal interpretation of Yggdrasil. So this is interesting. Uh, you know, we know from the Germanic, uh, obviously, with my research on the Germanic stuff, is they loved um, their god poles. They, lo- you know, had Irminsul. They had, uh, you know, like big trees. Not to mention, like, the side note that trees were big back in the day, and I think a lot of people forget that, is um, if you actually look up like ancient tree groves, and it's, you know these trees aren't even the same trees our ancestors saw. These are you know tre- you know at least 500, 600 year old trees. I mean, there's certain tree like the trees would have been massive back then, like massive, um, you know, and that's it's crazy to me. Like the forest I we see most of the time our new growth forest. And that's something that blew my mind about Kentucky is a lot of the hikes I do um, aren't even old growth forest anymore. Like the Red River Gorge that I've shown you, uh, Ian, uh, there's, you know, that's one of the few places and it's really only the interior of the gorge where there's some old growth. Um, and I think that's what one of the reasons it's so magical, but the entire top layer, like all the, the top parts, all the forest leading up there, the entire forest basically of Kentucky have been clear cut already once. And what we're seeing is the regrowth from like the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a wild thought. Um, so the idea of the ancestors actually recording a story about a massive tree is kind of an interesting one. Like how massive we talking here, Scandinavia. Um, and, you know, oh. it, and just, you know, they're observing of the natural world. I think at the end of the day, uh, there's so many theories about, uh, you know, what the poetic edda means. Is it metaphysical? Um, do they, is it ancient aliens? Is it, you know, or is it real? Like, do they actually witness a giant Yggdrasil with a squirrel running up and down it, an eagle at the top, and there was like a snake gnawing at the bottom? Um, we never really know the right answer, but I, I do think that the the ancestors a lot more, you know, uh, you know, observing, they were observing of the natural world. And so to them, you know, again, seeing the space, seeing stars, seeing the galaxy spiral, seeing the Northern lights, seeing these massive trees um, and how trees provide for us. They, you know, they give us our homes and they wouldn't even know that they gave us oxygen at that point, but maybe deep down they did. And so for them to record about the universe, you know, I don't think it's obscene for them to just write down that our universe is built on a tree because trees were all around them. Um, you know, so to them, you know, I think that's very plausible that half the reason Yggdrasil is the universe is because trees are a center point of humanity, or at least northern humanity. Well, I mean, trees are generally everywhere, depending on the type of trees. Right. Yeah. As long as you're not like in the Middle East or like, you know, in the de- Sahara Desert, you know. Right. Know. Well, I mean, well, even the Sahara underneath the Sahara Desert is forced. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, tree, trees have been everywhere. Um, and then, like you were saying with the new growth, yeah, most of our current parks and stuff like that are new growth, uh, mostly because of, like, the diseases and termites and stuff like that that gets into the parks. Uh, you can't help that, so you go through and cut them out so you, they don't destroy the entire forest. 
before like people get on their tirade of how loggers cut down all the forests. Like, like, <laughs> like there's well, they, a reason nowadays it's better. I mean, we're obviously yeah. better about we're more conservative, you know, because before when you know the United States, you know, I, I said this to I, I think I forget who I said this to. Uh, but like looking at like Ohio, where I'm from, you know, or Indiana is a great example of this. Uh, Indiana isn't naturally fields like all of Ohio, all of Indiana, like basically a lot of oh, the, yeah. the yeah. Eastern coast, the Eastern corridor, all of this was forest. And so they just assume the trees would never end. So they were just cutting everything down until they realized, yes, they eventually do end. <laughs> right. You had to do replanting. I mean, which, you know, part me and partner probably talk about that for days because, I mean, that's our livelihood. Uh, but, yeah, uh, going back and, like, talking about ancient trees, like, I'm in a bunch of logging Facebook groups and, like, pictures just from, like, my great grandpa's age to his grandpa and his dad, when they had to use crosscut saws to cut the trees down, we're talking massive trees that they had to float down the river. And then they would probably could build a house out of one of these trees, especially if like you look at the Everglades in California, how big those things can get. Just imagine pine trees. The Everglades, you mean the red? Uh, I meant the, the Everglades. Redwood. I was like, I don't know why I said Everglades brain fart, but like the, uh, like the Everglades are like a swamp. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live in a swamp. So, uh, but yeah, no, like the ripwoods over there and how big they get, like trees left alone can grow massively. So it wouldn't surprise me if they came upon a giant tree like either still. Um, so something I talk about in uh, the Ratatosker video is like, uh, why was Ratatosker added? There's a, several theories about this, one of which being Ratatosker was literally just a facade. They just needed more detail, so they just used him as a detail piece. Uh, another thing is that he represents balance, which is something people have brought up um, today, is that he represents some form of balance, um, or he represents antagonizing forces in the universe. Um, but something that I, I found interesting is that, like, there is a theory that, you know, really people just observe squirrels and they were like, dang, those squirrels really like don't take shit. And like, so they decided to add that, like you have this eagle at the top, you have the dragon, the worm at the bottom, and literally you have this squirrel that will like annoy both of them. And so it, it's interesting that I don't think the squirrel, nef- I don't think the squirrel nef- necessarily represents something meta- like this big, deep meeting. I think it just means that squirrels just run up and down the tree and don't take shit. And they decided to record that. Ratatoski ain't no joke. I mean, he's braver than a lot of probably modern day squirrels, but like they're vicious. It's like a representation of the the, the epitome of chaotic neutral. Right. Well, yeah, squirrels are all chaotic neutral. They're so cute and they just they yell at everything. Or throw acorns at your machine. They're really smart. Like I, I have literally watched uh squirrels like take down nuts in a road for dr- cars to drive over them and then come down and get the nuts out of them and then climb back in the tree like they are oh yeah scary. yeah yeah they're, they're really intelligent they, they know how to get around and get what they want well gentlemen i think we are coming to the end of this episode as we keep on going off in more and more tangents but i hope everyone still enjoyed this episode about yggdrasil um again if you're looking for more of like you know the the mythological answer just read the poetic edda it's in there um you know i think i have a video out there it's you know my only yggdrasil video i have 
And it, it just goes through what it says in the Poetic Edda, talks about the rivers, talks about the deer, talks about the squirrel, talks about the eagle, talks about all that good stuff. So re- watch that video. This was really just an episode to talk about the different theories that exist out there. Uh, and hopefully you can tell there is no one right theory. I think I've changed my mind on what my actual theory is like four times this episode. Um, and hopefully you have too, because I think it's just fun to have these conversations. Um, you know, this is great campfire conversations. Have a, you know, have a cup of mead, sit around a campfire and discuss what is Yggdrasil? Because at the end of the day, even with science, we barely know what the universe is. It's really confusing and it's kind of kind of spooky at times and you know, full of life and death and all that good stuff. So thank you all very much for watching this episode. And oh, I can't I, oh yeah, emails at folkpodcast at gmail.com. You know what to do. You've heard this before. It's okay. Go to Patreon, support us there. Blah 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 blah. Thank you very much for watching this episode. And until the hall, skull. Skull. Huh. Oh, oh, we're gonna, 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 we're gonna